If God does not exist, everything is permissible. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The virtual atheist believes there is no God and lives accordingly. The practical atheist believes God exists, but lives as if he doesn't. This is Air Jaron. Welcome to our study of the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. This series is written and taught by Dr. Jim Cece of Campus Bible Church in Fresno, California, and is produced by Global Radio Ministries and Jaron Ministries International. Colossians 3, 5-7 says this, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Well, good morning, beloved. Welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to this, our second of two morning worship services. And as always, we not just want to greet you, but also greet our radio listening audience, our, our um, those that download messages as well. And again, we, we get notes and uh, reports from people as far away as Eastern Europe and all the way to New Zealand who study along with us, sometimes on different days. Uh, but still, there are groups that study with us, and we welcome them as well. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Colossians, the third chapter. Take out those study outlines that we provided for you. If you're listening online or by radio, you can download those. Just simply go to campusbiblechurch.com, and there are outlines for you. And as well, these are always free for you, and we hope that you'll use those. It is my joy, it is my privilege to travel around this globe ministering to people in times training of pastors and church leaders in many countries from Asia and Europe and Africa and other places. It always saddens me to minister in places where you find that the fastest growing religion is atheism. One example, for example, in the Czech Republic, where the fastest growing religion is atheism, 97% of the people do not believe in God. 97% of an entire nation. And yet what I'm intrigued by as I travel to places like Eastern Europe is that they forget their own history. In fact, taking that part of the world, for example, the Russian novelist Fyodor Dostoevsky was right when he said this in the 19th century. He said, if God does not exist, everything is permissible. What you think about that in light of culture? When you have a godless culture, Sin unfolds rapidly. Obviously, atheism is serious business. Always has been. 3,000 years ago, King David said this in Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. He goes on to then describe the lifestyle of atheists when he says they are corrupt and they have committed abominable deeds. Oh, and yes, I'm right. And it's good that you send me to places to deal with atheism. It is right to confront unbelief. But today I want to address the kind of atheism that is invading the church of Jesus Christ. The practical atheism of those who believe in God, even those who have trusted in Jesus Christ alone 
for their salvation. You see, we need to make a distinction between two kinds of atheism. The virtual atheism and the practical atheism. You see, a virtual atheist is one who believes there is no God and lives accordingly. In other words, there are no standards. Everything is permissible. But then there are the practical atheists who believe that God exists but live as if He doesn't. Oh, they know there are standards. They know there are things that are not permissible. They just do them anyways. Here in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is dealing with practical atheism in the church of Jesus Christ, in the heart and life of those who claim to know and love the Lord Jesus. And thus the title of the message this morning is Dealing with My Daily Idolatry. I could have called it Confronting My Practical Atheism. Same thing. I want you to remain seated, but I want you to read loud enough so that our ready audience can hear you as well. Read with me Colossians 3, verses 5 to 7. Join me, please. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come on the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Now it's obvious from this text and from the context and from the many weeks of study in Colossians that Paul is not talking to virtual atheists who deny the existence of God. He's not talking to the culture. He's not even talking to pagan idolaters who worship a foreign god. He is talking to his fellow believers, to these practical atheists, these born-again believers who knew that God exists, but where sinful idolatry was still present in their lives. And in particular, he's going to talk about a specific kind of idolatry, the idolatry of immorality. Now, don't miss this. You see, Paul is aware that some of his fellow Christians who are so quick to condemn the idolatry and the immorality outside the church are blind to the struggle within the church and within their own hearts. I don't think there's a person in this room that wouldn't applaud our efforts to change the culture, especially as it relates to the immorality, to the pornography, to the adultery, to campaign against such things. And, and we're involved in that. The hatred that we have against sex trafficking all over the world, we hate it. And we're engaged as a church against such things. But the Bible is also clear of where God's priorities are. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Powerful words. In Romans chapter 2, verse 22, Paul asked his fellow Christians, You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And it's an indicting question. It's a probing query, isn't it? We who hate sin and would campaign against such things as sex trafficking and pornography and the immorality in media today, we who hate such sin, are we not battling in our own hearts? In fact, it goes on to say in Romans 2, if judgment begins with us, 
what will be the results for those who do not obey the gospel of God. And here's his point, that whether in blatant action or in secret thought, there is no place for any form of idolatry or practical atheism in the life of any believer. Yet it exists. In my life and in your life, it exists. You know it and I know it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, Paul said, Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? He goes on to define what that temple is. For we, the church, the body of Christ, believers and dwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. See, the testimony of our lives needs to be the same as the testimony of those Thessalonians so long ago, where in chapter 1, verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes that they turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. See, I want us today to kind of depart from our complacency of our life of tisk 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 about the world out there and look at the beam in our own eyes in here. And to heed the cry of the Apostle John in 1 John 5.21 when he's talking to his fellow believers and says, Little children, guard yourselves from idols. And the clear warning of the Apostle Paul when he said to his fellow believers, 1 Corinthians 10.14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And that's what Paul's heart is all about here in Colossians chapter 3. And it begins with a reminder calling us to the daily practice of reviewing our position in Christ. That's why he starts with that word, therefore. Everybody say, therefore. And anytime you see that word, it draws your eyes back to what you just studied. To what we call the near context. That then might even draw you back to the more distant context. Therefore. In other words, he has just said, you and I are to seek things above where Christ is. Remember that? He said, if then you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on the things in the earth because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life shall appear, you will appear with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to morality, impurity, Passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Therefore, pay attention to who you are. You have been raised with Christ. You're a heavenly citizen. You walk in newness of life. You can have a heavenly perspective even when you turn on your cell phone, when you turn on your computer, when you turn on your television, when you're faced with temptation. Yes, you died to the ultimate penalty of sin. Yes, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And yes, you will return with Him. Therefore, seek the things above where Christ is. Keep seeking it. Keep setting your mind on those things. And remember who you are, believer. Why do you think I spent so much time the last time we talked with those 45 statements of who you are in Christ? Important reminders. And if you're not here, download them. Get the message called Keeping Our Heavenly Focus. Go to campusbiblechurch.com. Yes, because of who you are, therefore. We don't get just to applaud all we are in Christ and not do something about who we are in Christ. 
And that's why he comes to verse 5 and he's continuing with the thought. Oh, it's so wonderful to celebrate who we are in Christ. So wonderful to remember all the wonderful things. Uh, here comes the responsibility. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to all those sins. Our response is dealing with the idolatry in our lives. Verse 5. Because we know that we're not going to experience the ultimate penalty for our sin. That, that, that spiritual separation from God. But we also know that we're very much impacted by the power of sin today until someday we'll be released from the presence of sin in heaven. You know that and I know that. But we have got to do battle with sin every day of our lives. And it is a battle. I don't care how young or old you are, single or married, male or female. This is not just for the men of the church. I had one gentleman in one of my purity seminars. He was 87 years old. He was sitting you know, about in this chair over here. And I looked at him. We were talking about lust. And it was later in the afternoon. And he had gone through the entire seminar. And I said, sir, what are you doing here? You know what he said to me? I ain't dead, son. Constant battle. One commentator describes sin in the life of a Christian as a dethroned king who no longer reigns but works hard to destroy his former subjects. See, you and I as, unbel as unbelievers used to be slaves to sin, but, but it no longer has full reign over us. I remind you of Romans, the sixth chapter. And although as believers we're no longer in bondage, we're very much hassled by it. And yes, we've been raised with Christ in heavenly places, but you want to know something? We still live on planet Earth, and it's time to get our heads not just in heaven, but on the earth, and be in the game and be aware of the battle. To consider our members as dead to sin. And I have to tell you, we preachers don't help. Because we preach messages like this. Be dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed. But we don't teach you how. What does it really mean? Because you and I know that temptation is like radio waves. They're always out there. There are radio waves invading our bodies even today. It all depends on what our antenna is tuned to. So what does it really mean when we're faced with temptation? To consider our members of the members of our body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed. Because we believe Paul when he tells us it amounts to idolatry, but we just don't know what to do about it. Well, Paul's not going to leave us alone. He says, consider it as dead, and he uses this word, it's called hypox legomen, and it's used only once in all the New Testament. Uh, but it's the word necrosate there, and, it, and, and he uses it in a verb form, and I'm trying to impress you with Greek. But understand that the Greeks had a way of saying things so punctilious, so momentous, so emphatic. It's an aorist active imperative. The best way to say it is do it and do it now. Don't wait till later. And you know that's true. Every parent in the room knows this. You know that delayed obedience is a very dangerous form of disobedience. You know that. Every police officer knows that. That's why when he pulls up on somebody, he might say, Stop! Let me see your hands! Do it! Do it now! That's exactly what Paul's saying. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to sin. And do it and do it now, not later. 
But what does it mean? Do it now before things get worse. Some of you know the story of Aaron Ralston. Perhaps you don't know his name, but you know the story. Aaron Ralston was a young rock climber, and in the process of rock climbing, a boulder fell on his right arm, and he was pinned for days. And the only way he could rescue himself was with his left hand, take out his own penknife, and cut off his arm, his own arm. Could you imagine? But he knew that if he didn't cut it off, it would take him out. Certainly it wasn't easy, but it was necessary. And Paul's saying the same thing about dealing with the idolatry in our lives, that we get pinned down and buried by the crushing weight of sin. It's not easy to cut sin out of our lives, but it is necessary. Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount, if your right eye offend thee, coddle it. Nurture it. Excuse it. Is that what he said? He said, pluck it out. See, when temptation comes our way, and it will, then we need to turn away immediately and say to it, I am a born-again child of God. I am dead to this sin. Click. I'm a heaven-bound son of God. I will not do this. Run. I am no longer a slave to this sin. God's power working mightily in me, and I'm going to cut this thing out now. I'm not just going to suppress it. I'm going to kill it. The King James says mortify it. To use a modern image, I think we could say I'm going to put a wooden stake in it. Right in the heart of it. And once I kill it, I'm going to treat it as dead. And when it, I'm going to keep it in the grave where it belongs. And when it tries to resurrect itself, I'm going to kill it again and kill it again and kill it again. Amen? Now go back to chapter 3, verse 5 of Colossians. Because Paul moves on from the general statement. And he lists out the idolatrous sins that are threatening our testimony. And he points out the idolatry of immorality, the idolatry of impurity, the idolatry of passion, the idolatry of evil, and the idolatry of greed, or you can also call it coveting. These practical atheistic manifestations. The first one is the general term. The idolatry of immorality. And, and here he uses the Greek word porneia, from which we get our word pornography. And oh, how tempting it would be to talk about the plethora of pornography in our culture. Every single day, 24 hours a day, 2.5 billion pornographic emails sound out every single day, and it's getting worse. We happen to live in the region of the world, here in California, especially Southern California, around Northridge, that is the pornographic capital of the world. But when I go to Eastern Europe, there in the Czech Republic, guess what? Where atheism is high, so is anything permissible, the pornographic capital of Europe. Oh, I wish I could talk about the fact that one half of the divorces in the United States, one half of the divorces are because of Facebook, social networking, Twittering, networking, things like that, or pornography on the part of the man. One half of them. Oh, we could talk about pornography, but that's not what Paul's talking about. The word porneo speaks of all illicit sexual activity. 
And, and the word is used uh, in the King James Version as fornication. Uh, sexual immorality in general. We know this sin far too well. And you may be hiding it in your heart. But listen to Galatians 5.19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. They're self-evident and eventually they'll become publicly evident. Which are immorality, impurity, and sensuality. And oh, how I wish I didn't have to talk about this. Some of you are saying, man, I didn't know he was going to talk about this. I would have stayed home. Next time I'm going to read ahead of where he's going to go. Obviously it's a sin we wish we'd never see in the church. The Apostle Paul said, Ephesians 5.3, Do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among the saints. I'll make you a deal. Have none of us ever engage in it and I'll never talk about it again. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. Didn't happen in Paul's day. It's not going to happen in our day. It is being named among the saints in Paul's day and ours. That's why I agree with Randy Alcorn when he said, the evangelical landscape is littered with the carcasses of lives and ministries that have been decimated by sexual sin. I was talking about this one day in a pulpit and a man walked out saying, I can't believe that you're mentioning these things over the pulpit. You're sharing our dirty laundry with the world. Let me just tell you this, folks. The world sees it. Time to stop ignoring the problem and work together to fight this battle, especially among the people of God. And that's why part of our ministry at Jaron is, is to face this head on, this taboo subject. Randy Elkhorn was right when he said this, an unholy world will never be won to Christ by an unholy church. I believe with all my heart that if I can deal with this subject in the world, I can deal with any subject among the leaders. Amen? And that's why I spent a lot of time writing this book. This is not a shameless advertisement. But I wrote this book called The Purity War, A Biblical Guide to Living in a Moral World. It comes with a study guide. Why? Listen, I've been around for a long time. I've written a lot of materials. Why would I write a book on this? Because it's still a problem. I did my doctoral degree in identifying why pastors fall. I've got another book coming out that deals with that subject. I don't want to be the Dr. Ruth of the body of Christ. I know I'm short and ugly, but that is not what I set out to do. But I commit this to you as a work that I hope will help you. And if you want to get one, there's some in the back there. You're not going to buy me shoes if you buy a book. In fact, all the proceeds are going to go to help me get to Eastern Europe because I've been invited to go there again in the spring. This time they're going to give one book to every leader there, 700 evangelical leaders from 40 different countries. We're going to give it as a gift to them. Because the leader of the European Leadership Forum, this is the one issue he wants every single one of those leaders in all of Europe to have. Why? Because it's still an issue. I wish it wasn't an issue, but it is. The problem of immorality is prevalent today, even as it was at the time Paul wrote this letter to the Colossian church, even among church leaders. Dr. Sisi referred to his book, The Purity War. The book deals with personal immorality in a caring and practical way. The book is beneficial for everyone. It is available from Amazon in both a printed version and as an audiobook. The printed version also contains a personal study guide and workbook to help you with your personal purity. In the next program, Pastor Cece will discuss the motivations for living a holy life. Some use mercy as a crutch 
And some are just grateful for the touch Some live in shame because of sin And some say yes to his work within Some thinks he loves them when they're good But his love won't change even if it could His standards clearly righteousness But that's why his son's name we confess We're becoming the perfect human The project with Jesus Sin is founded in secret atheism. Stephen Charnock, The Existence and Attributes of God. The essence of idolatry is the entertaining of any thought about God that is unworthy of Him. A. W. Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy, 